45. We'll read the text that we read from last week and then we'll move into chapter 46. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 25. Going through the series, God Meant It for Good, considering the life of Joseph. This morning, we'll be looking specifically at his father, Jacob, or as God renamed him, Israel, and an interaction that he had with God as he made his way into Egypt. So in verse number 25 of chapter 45, And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father, Isaac. And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, and Jacob, excuse me, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. And Jacob rose up from Beersheba. So we'll leave off our reading there. The thought for the message this morning, the title of the message is this, My Region, His Reach. My Region and His Reach. You may be seated. At this time, we'll enjoy a special from the two two of the Ganyar men, Brother Adam and Brother Adam Jr. So enjoy this great special. Boundary known unto man. 
praise the Lord for that. That's a great song, and so thankful for the abundant supply of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that it's a father and son singing it, and it's a great harmony. I love the sound of men singing, manly men singing. That's good stuff, and I appreciate that. And I love the, I, I appreciate, I enjoy the line in the song that says, His love has no limit. I'm so thankful for the limitless nature of the love of God. In, in its abundance, it's, it's always available for His people. And then in who God will love. There's no limit to the people that God will pour out His love upon if they'll only turn to Him and trust in Him. And so you look at people and you say, man, they seem to have a hard life. They seem to be making really bad decisions. But they are not beyond the reach of the love of God. He is faithful to love us. That's such an encouraging song. I'm so thankful for it. Well, um, uh, not too long ago I had an experience where someone uh, called me. And uh, they, were, they were in need of uh, some immediate answers or assistance and uh, so I'm on the phone with them, and I want, I want, I want very much to be able to help them. It was my desire to be able to provide some knowledge, to provide some insight, or to be able to do something to be a help to them in that situation. They had called, and uh, they were having vehicle trouble and they were in a position to where help wasn't immediately nearby. And so they called, and they tell me what's going on. And I wanted, I wanted, I wanted, it was my desire to be able to say something or do something that could be helpful to them. But as has been the case in so many different situations in my life, I've had a desire to do something, but have been limited either by space or by time, by ability, or by resources. Desire, the desire was there. You know what I'm talking about. The desire to help is there. It's not a, it's not a lack of willingness. It's not a lack of desire. Sometimes it's a lack of perhaps skill. Sometimes it's a lack of resources. Sometimes it's a, perhaps a lack of time. And, and you have conflict conflicts going on. Sometimes it's a lack of space. You're in one place and they're in another place. And you want very much to help. But because of these different factors, your reach is limited. And you know what that's like. You know what that is like to have a desire to reach out, to have a desire to be a help, to have a desire to make a difference, and then yet at times to be limited in your reach, in your capacity to be able to help. Well, Jacob believes in our text that going into Egypt is the right thing to do. His long-lost son, Joseph, is there. And there in Egypt is the promise for provision and sustenance through a famine. There's just one concern, though. In spite of Joseph being there, and in spite of all these resources that will ensure his family survives the famine being there, there's just one concern. It's Egypt. Say, well, what's the big deal about Egypt? Consider these facts as it related to Abraham and Isaac and then to Jacob. It was a place of some peril and failure for his grandfather Abraham. Remember um, uh, some of the struggles that he had in Genesis 12. It was a place that was forbidden for Jacob's father to go to. In Genesis 26, God commanded Isaac to not go down into Egypt to remain where he was. Jacob himself and was um, told that he needed to remain in the promised land. It was a place that was prophesied to be a, an area of great bondage and affliction to the descendants of Abraham. You remember in Genesis 15 when God was making the covenant, establishing the covenant with Abraham that he told him part of the process would be his descendants becoming a great nation, but they would be in a time of bondage 
a time of significant oppression in the land of Egypt. So while it's the right decision, and even while from the human perspective you would say it's the obvious decision for Jacob, your son is there and the resources to survive the famine are there, it is not a decision that is without concern or risk. Now sometimes in life, doing the right thing involves difficulty. Sometimes in life, doing the right thing, doing what we know to obviously be the right thing based on the Word of God, it is not without challenge. It it is not without risk. In fact, oftentimes, just living life involves risk. Now think about this from the logical standpoint. For those who came here to assemble, you got in a vehicle, either your own or a vehicle of someone else, and you drove. That involves risk. And it is impossible in a fallen world to remove risk from every area of life. Risk is a part of living. And then when it comes to following God, there are times when it seems as though the risk might increase or the areas of concern might increase. It's a part of life and it's a part of following God. There is a risk in living out your faith at work sometimes. There is a risk in trying to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There is a risk, even in certain homes, of trying to follow Jesus Christ when not everyone is on the same page. There is a risk in obeying the commands of God as it relates to many areas of our life. So Jacob takes the time to go to a place where he knows that he can seek God Now, we read about this place in verse number 1 of chapter 6. He took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. Beersheba was on the way to Egypt from where he and his family were located. But it's not as though this was just kind of a side stop. You know how it is when you're on a road trip with your family and you say, oh, that looks like it might be fun. Let's stop there. Oh, let's pull over here. Oh, let's pull over here. Now, I've had this work out really well, and I've had it work out poorly when I've done those side stops. There have been times when I pull over to a spot, and you know, they, they, I can't remember the exact name, but see, this is a spot to where you can view, you can do some sightseeing, they're great views, pull out views right here. Well, they have those in Oklahoma. <laughs> and I remember in areas driving through Oklahoma, like, ooh, this is going to be a sweet spot, and then I pull over and I look out, and you know what it looks like? The rest of Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it works out differently. And, I, and, that's been, and it's not just in Oklahoma. It can be that way in, in just about any state. You pull over and you think, oh, this is going to be good. And then it's kind of like, eh. World's best ice cream. Is it? Is it? You know how those things can go. This wasn't just a random, oh, look, there's Beersheba. Let's pull the camels over here and hang out for a little bit. No, this was a very deliberate and intentional spot and a deliberate and intentional stop. Beersheba was an important place to Abraham and Isaac. In Genesis 21 and Genesis 26, respectively, God dealt with them in that place. And Jacob comes to do the same This was a deliberate effort on his part to seek God. So Jacob goes to this place where he knows that he can seek God and where he knows by the example of his fathers that he can hear from God as well. It's good for us to be reminded today that God is available and willing to speak to his people. It's not as though that God does not want to speak to us. And you say, well, how does God speak to us? The way that he has spoken throughout history, it is through the word of God. And God is speaking to us today as much through the Bible, as much as he would speak to his people before the Bible was written. The word of God is still the word of God. And he is able and willing, he desires for his people to know him and to hear from him. But there has to be a willingness and an effort to put forth effort to hear from him. Say, so what do you mean? 
If you want to hear from God through His Word, you have to read it. If you want to hear from God through the preaching of His Word, you have to make an effort and time to go be where His Word is being preached. You have to be willing to not settle for something that is not the preaching of His Word. There has to be an effort. God is able and willing to speak. And Jacob goes to hear from him. And so, beginning in verse number 3, or excuse me, verse number 2, God speaks to him. Now, in in verse number 2, both the names of the main character, Jacob or Israel, are used in this text. If you'll remember back in Genesis 32 when Jacob was about to confront Esau and he wrestled with God in prayer and sought some comfort and some guarantee that God would protect him and that God, the blessing that God had promised would be on him in this moment of what he perceived to be a great crisis. And so God gave him the name Israel and said this as a prince You have power with God. The name Jacob, as you know, means supplanter or deceiver. And so you think back to the time when he and Esau were younger and he plotted along with his mother to deceive Esau and to deceive his father Isaac. In this verse we see a reminder both of what Jacob was before he humbled himself before God And what he was after he humbled himself before God. Now in every life we find this contrast. There is a difference between what we are before Jesus Christ. And what we are after Jesus Christ. There is a major difference between what we are. Out of submission to Jesus Christ. And in submission to Jesus Christ. The person whose life is saved and submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ, that person is living a life that is indeed blessed. But the person who resists that authority, either resisting to trust in Jesus Christ or even having been saved is rebelling against God, that person finds that life is very difficult. And the, the product of that life is not rewarding outside of Christ. And so God is reminding him, look, this is what you were before And this is what you are now as my child. It's also a reminder that God is aware of our weakness and our limitations. When God calls him Jacob, he's reminding him, hey, I know who you are. And I love this. I'm not afraid of who you are. I still care for you as you are. I know know what you are at your weakest. and And I'm not limited By those things that limit you. I'm aware of your tendencies. I'm aware of your struggles. God is aware of our weaknesses. He's aware of our anxieties. He's aware of our failures. He's aware of those things that concern us. So beginning in verse number 3. God reminds Jacob of who he is. Referring to God. Notice what it says in verse number 3. I am God, the God of thy father. The name God here means the mighty one, the supreme one, the one who has power over all, the one who rules over all, the one who has authority over all. In Hebrew, it's translated El Elohim, and he is the one who is without any rival. No, there are those who would oppose him, but he is beyond any effort to oppose him. He can't be vanquished, he can't be conquered, he can't be destroyed or hindered. He is the eternal, all-powerful God, and he rules over all. Now what's interesting is when you study this time, and this would be still be true in certain parts of the world today, that there was a false idea about gods or deities that God is reminding Jacob about indirectly. 
during this time, every region had a local deity. Depending on the region you were in, that's the deity or the deities that you would be subject to. And so, based on the gods and the super, the gods little g, and the superstition of that time, when you were in this region, you had to pay homage and be aware of these gods, and basically, whatever it was that made this local deity mad, don't do that. And then when you went to another region, there were other gods there, and they would pose a threat to you in different ways, so you needed to be aware of them. So, based on the region and the, the regional deity, that would affect how you lived your life, how you conducted yourself. And so, it, it, God isn't condemning Jacob as though he's given into this idea, but there is certainly uh, it, the, the implication here that this was an idea that was shared by unbelievers, and God is helping Jacob to remember an important truth about himself. So Jacob in the land of Canaan, they would have their deities. And when he's going to Egypt, Egypt was filled with their deities. Also remember this, that there was a promise for the land that Jacob was leaving. Remember back in dealing with Abraham, God promised Abraham that he would give, make of him a great nation and give him this specific land. Give him the land that Jacob was now leaving. So here was the temptation. Here was the danger for Jacob. To think that God's ability to bless him and to fulfill his promise that he originally made to Abraham, that he confirmed to Isaac, and that he had then passed on to Jacob, that that ability to fulfill that promise was limited to the region of the promised land. Now he was going to a land that could be and one day would be a hostile land. So God reminds him, I'm so much more than a regional deity. I'm so much more than just limited to working within the parameters of this border and at this time. I'm not just a God among some of these others. I'm not one in a long line of gods competing for superiority depending on which region you're in. I am the God. I am the supreme God. I am the God who rules over all. And so he's reminding Jacob as he's about to do something that is against his if I can say it this way, against his covenant nature, against his religious nature, he is about to go into a place that has not gone well for his grandfather, that his father was forbidden to go. It's the place that was foretold would one day be their enemy. He's going to that place. He's being commanded to go to that place. And God is reminding him that I am God at all times, in all circumstances, and in all locations. You cannot go to a place in your life where I am not God. I'm God in this land. But whether I'm recognized or not, I'm God in that land. And I can work as God in this land. And whether or not I'm recognized as being it or being able to do it, I am God and I can work in that land. And I've made promises about this land. But my ability to accomplish my promises isn't limited to a region. I can do my work and fulfill my promises no matter where the soles of your feet may tread. And so he tells them, he tells him that Jacob, things are going to be okay. Notice what he says in verse number three. Fear not to go down into Egypt. Now, the statement, fear not, confirms two things. Number one, it confirms this. Jacob was indeed concerned. He was afraid. God doesn't throw out stuff just, okay, maybe this will fit. He was dealing with his child. Remember at the beginning, there are, there are times and there are seasons in life when we can encounter challenges or risk or situations that can cause us concern or make us afraid. No, we can have 
fear or anxiety about our health. We can have it about relationships. We can have it about an economy or about a job. We can have it about the welfare of our children. We can have it about all sorts of things. And God is telling him, Jacob, I know what you're concerned about. And I'm telling you, you don't need to be afraid. There is a reason. There is a reason. Hey, there is a reason to not be afraid. Now, Jacob's looking. Jacob's remembering what has been foretold. Jacob is remembering the precedents that have been set in God's dealing with his fathers. Jacob is remembering what has been prophesied about the land of Egypt. He's remembering all of these things. He's thinking about potentially the, the risks of being in Egypt. He's thinking about all of these things, and God is telling him, there is a reason to not be afraid. You know what we see going on in our culture today? Everybody telling us why we need to be afraid. That's, that's the environment we're living in today. We've got everybody, every so-called, and I use that term so-called intentionally, every so-called expert telling us why we ought to live in fear. There is a God who tells us that we have a reason to not be afraid. So this is, this is why. Are you ready? Look at verse number four. I will go down with thee. Okay, we're going to break it down a little bit more in just a moment. Can I just remind you of this? That if he's with Jacob, it's going to be okay. No, if the God, I can't reach high enough. And you can't add up all the tall people in our church that can reach high enough. If the God is with you, then that's reason enough to not be afraid reason enough that you don't have to fear. Notice what he says in verse number three. For I will there make of thee a great nation. Notice the word there. The long-term covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and then to Jacob was in the land of Canaan. Eventually, it would end up back there. It was to be the final fulfillment of God's promise in this, in this sense of them inheriting, their descendants inheriting that land. But God is telling him, listen, I can bring this to pass even with you going to Egypt for a time. Even with your descendants living there for some generations. Even with the nation of Israel being in bondage. And so he tells them, you can be there. Remember the word there. I will there do for you what I was doing here. I can do it there as well. I can work here. I can work there. I will be with you in all locations, in all circumstances, and whatever the work is that needs to be done, I can do it wherever, and I can do it whenever, and I can do it with however your life looks and whatever circumstances are going on. He then makes some specific promises to Jacob in verse number 4. He says, I'll, I'll, I will also surely bring thee up again. That's a reference to a couple of things. Number one, his burial in Canaan. Remember when we get to the end of this Genesis chapter 49, 50, Jacob will eventually die after several years with Joseph and he'll be buried in the promised land. But it's also a reference to one day, by faith, him believing that his descendants would come out of Egypt into the promised land. Not just a return of his own, but a return of his family. And then he makes this, which would be a very comforting statement. Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. It's re referencing the custom at death to where a loved one would cover and close the eyes of the one who had deceased. And he's telling Jacob this, you're going to die in peace in the presence of your son, which at that moment was a great comfort to Jacob. He was already really old, well over a hundred. We'll see that in the coming passages. And he's going on a long journey. He's not seen his son for many years, but now he's going to be reunited with his son, and he will be with him until he dies. So Jacob is reminded, as the God, I will be with you, I will work in you there, 
as I have worked in you here, and I will, I will take care of you until the end. So notice Jacob's response in verse number five. And Jacob rose up. When the command and promise of God meets with faith in God, the result is always action. That's what we call faith. There are people today that claim to have faith, but you cannot claim faith. You cannot claim faith in the word of God that does not produce obedience in your life. No, Jacob was concerned, and God does not, mm, get this, please get this, brothers and sisters, God does not criticize him for being concerned. God just reminds him that, hey, I know you have concerns, Jacob, but you don't have to be afraid, because I'm with you, and I'm going to be with your descendants. I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be with your sons, and their sons, and daughters, and on, and on, and on, until the day, and through the day that I bring them up out of the land of Egypt, I will be with you. And when that command and that promise of God was met with faith, the result was this. Jacob rose up. You know, we hear this term, rise up, and we can think of something revolutionary. We can think of something dynamic and amazing. You know what rise up implies? Simply this. He did what he knew God wanted him to do. It's not overly dramatic. It's simply this. I know what God has told me to do. And therefore, I am going to put myself to the business of obeying God. To rise up by faith in God simply means this. I'm going to love my wife the way that Jesus Christ commands me to. I'm going to strive to do that on a consistent basis. I'm going to honor and love and respect my husband the way that the Bible commands me to. To rise up means that I'm going to strive to be, though imperfect, I'm going to strive to be the kind of father or the kind of mother that raises their sons and daughters in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To rise up means that I'm going to strive to be a part of the life of God's church. To rise up means that I'm going to strive to be the kind of employee or employer that I ought to be. To rise up doesn't have to be something far off or over the top. It's simply taking the command and promise of God and choosing to live life the way that we know God wants us to. Living by faith. But here's the danger to that kind of life. There are risks and challenges to rising up. Let's be honest about it. There are risks and challenges. I have been very careful. I've tried. I have tried. Let me rephrase that. I have tried to be very careful about the way that I have spoken concerning the coronavirus. And anyone who says, man, it's nothing to worry about, they're not being honest. Have been risk involved in it. And there are obviously segments of society that are at greater risk from it. True statement. And it's also true that living your life in other ways as God commands involves risks and challenges. You say, what do, you, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord isn't nearly as popular as it used to be. There were lost people 30 and 40 years ago who did a better job raising their children in discipline and character than some saved parents do today. Handling your finances the way God wants you to is not without risk. And we are, listen, I, I, I will praise the Lord if I'm wrong, but it, it is not possible to do as our nation has done and to continue as our nation is continuing without there being some kind of financial reckoning. People are finding, even now, People are losing businesses. 
People are, jobs are in limbo. And there's risk. There is risk being the kind of church that God commands us to be. You know, the commands of Almighty God do not cease to be in effect because someone in an office somewhere tells us that they should be paused. Did you know that during this isolation period, people still died and went to hell? If you believe the Bible, then that happened. And yet being a witness for Jesus Christ, not just the opposition to the gospel, but the opposition to anybody talking to anyone about anything in the name of social distancing can make it even more challenging. Here's the danger, is that we make God a regional God. This is what we say. As long as things are like this, as long as my life is like this, then we can live and function and be fine. But if anything happens outside of that, then we become paralyzed by fear. Now, I need to give a caution and make sure nobody misunderstands this. And I believe there's an example of this here in our text. Is it wrong? Don't answer this. Just think. Is it wrong to take precautions? Don't answer. Just think. (laughs) Okay, now answer. Is it wrong to take precautions? Absolutely not. There were times when Jesus said this. He did not commit himself unto them, for he knew what was in man. There are times where even Paul didn't do certain things because of certain threats. Look, we're not talking about not taking precautions. In fact, I believe what Jacob was doing right here was a precaution. I, I, need, I, need to know, I need to know that things are going to be okay. But do you realize here that even in the precaution, there is no precaution that can ultimately remove all risk? No, I'm not talking about being cavalier. I'm not talking about being careless. I'm not talking about being rebellious and defiant for the sake of being rebellious and defiant. But it is impossible to take enough precautions to remove all risk. You just have to be aware of this. Am I being wise and am I being obedient to God? For example, I, I had this conversation with someone who was expressing concern before we changed our services, and they were just talking about long-term health, and this is what I said to them, and, I, and I've, this sentiment extends to many other people that would be, is about this virus, that would be potentially in a more difficult position, more susceptible to it. This is what I said, I would, I would rather have you around for five or ten years than have you at a service for two weeks. Especially when we were still trying to figure out what was going on and when we weren't aware of everything and we're trying to figure those things. Man, I'm fine with and understanding. People need to take precautions. It's not like we don't even take precautions in our outreach. For example, when we send people out to do some canvassing, we don't just send people out by themselves in difficult areas. We send people together. We do things to take precautions. I I drove a car to church, but I still wore a seatbelt. Is everybody with me here? Okay, I'm assuming at home that you are with me as well. Not talking about not taking precautions and being careless. But there comes a point as children of God where we can be paralyzed by fear with everything that everybody's telling us we ought to be afraid of. And we've got to remember that God is with us. And he is no regional God. He is God when finances are really good. He is God when finances are not. He is good when health is really good. He is God when health is not. He is God when my relationships are good. He is God when my relationships are very challenging and hard. He is God when things are going great with my children. He is God when things are challenging and I am afraid or concerned or having battles with 
my children. He is God in all times and in all circumstances and in all places. Life is going to be filled with risks and challenges. But we have to remember this. Here's this statement. The reach of God is not limited by the region of my life. The reach of God, His ability to work, His ability to help, His ability to accomplish His purpose in my life is not limited to the region that I find myself in at that time. So here's what I've been thankful for. I love this. I've been encouraged by this. When we were doing live stream only services, I was encouraged by this fact. God isn't limited by that. Oh, it's not my preference. I don't like it. I don't want anybody to like it. But this is what I'm thankful for. That God still works. His word still works. His praise is still meaningful. The assembly of his people through distant means. And we ought to praise God that we've been able to do that. It's, it's still, it still can be effective. God can still work. And God can use those times to reach people that otherwise might not be reached. God can use those times to increase the appreciation of the people of God for the ability to assemble. God can use those times, as he has, to help people get to know some folks that they hadn't been able to get to know. All of those things have happened during this time. It's not as though this time has been wasted. This has been good for us, and it will continue as we work through and are patient with this process. It will continue to be good for us. God can work. And if God could work for Jacob in Canaan and in Egypt, then God can work on our behalf in a pandemic or not. And God can work in your life, regardless of the region of those times. I think about the possibility that sometimes there can be challenges in a home And one spouse trying to live their life for God and another going a different direction. And to everyone in a situation like that or that's ever been, can I remind you? Your home may not look like everything it's supposed to because of that tension. But it doesn't mean God can't be working in your life and on your behalf. He's not limited in his ability to help you. You know, I... I wish that I could promise you that God is just going to take away every disease and every sickness. One day he will. I'm not preaching about this, but one day he is going to bring us up out of Egypt. Oh man, I think I will preach about it for a minute. One day he is going to bring us up out of Egypt. And the heart that is broken will be broken no more. And the sickness that afflicts you will afflict you no more. And the loneliness that grieves you will grieve you no more. And the burdens and the weights and the oppressions of this life will oppress you no more. Just like Jacob, one day you will be brought up out of that to your eternal resting place. But for now, we live in the regions of this life. And I wish I could tell my brothers and sisters that every disease ends one way. With you getting well. But it doesn't always work out like that. This is not some kind of blank check where God just says, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. But even if your body continues to suffer, His grace will continue to be sufficient. If God can work in your life when you're healthy, God can work in your life when you're sick. If God can work through you when you're healthy, God can work through you when you're not well. Say, what about those times when I'm hurting? I've I've been betrayed or I've been wounded or I'm dealing with this anxiety. God can work with you when it's sunshine and rainbows. But God can work in you and through you. In fact, some of his greatest work in people's lives aren't when the sun is shining brightest. It's when the clouds are the darkest and the storm is the most ominous. I want you to remember the promise that Jesus made. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And there might be some who'd say, yeah, God made that promise to Jacob and to the nation of Israel. Can I remind you spiritually, in Jesus Christ, we've been grafted in. 
And the same God then is the same God now. And this isn't replacement theology. This is simply recognizing that the character of God is consistent to his people in all places at all times. And so we can rise up. We can live by faith. You know what it's going to take moving forward? It's going to take living by faith. Hey, we will, we will not dismiss legitimate concerns, and we will work to take necessary precautions. In fact, you look at the way we're doing things, and we, we are trying to do that above and beyond. And, and I, know there, there, I know there are those who wish the process would be sped up. I understand that. But we are trying to do this right way and take the necessary steps, and not just to honor God, but we also want to protect his people as well. And that is right. But we have to also live by faith, brothers and sisters. We must rise up, not in some kind of revolt. We must rise up to say, I'm going to do what God says, and I'm going to trust God with the results. The reach of God is not limited by the region of my life. God can work in me no matter what's going on. And he can work through me no matter what's going on. And he can do that for you. You know why I'm optimistic about West Valley Baptist Church? Because God before this happened is God after this happened. Amen. Say, what's it going to look like? I don't know. I, I have my concerns. No, I, ha- I have lots of concerns, believe me. But this is what trumps all of that. He's God. The God then is the God now. What about my, what about my children? What about my job? What about these things? All legitimate concerns. The God then is the God now. And the fact that you're in a different region of life does not change his ability to reach where you are. Let's all stand together. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to consider if there is an area in your life that you are concerned about. This morning, brothers and sisters, I've, I've tried to articulate it, tried to express it. God isn't angry with us when we have legitimate concerns. God isn't angry. I don't even believe God's angry with us when we have concerns that turn out to not be legitimate because he's a compassionate, understanding, loving God. So maybe this morning you've got a concern. Maybe it's about your relationship. Maybe it's about your children. Maybe it's about your job. Maybe it's about the the health situation. Maybe it's about how to move forward in your life and what that's supposed to look like with all these different voices about all these things, can I encourage you to simply do this, to know God, to know what he says, and to live that life by faith, to understand that the region of my life does not limit the reach of God. He can work in me no matter what is going on. So this morning, if God has dealt with you in some way, you say, I've got this concern, I've got this fear, I've got this burden Would you come to him? Those here in the sanctuary, would you take some time? Call upon him. Those at home, would you kneel there? Call upon him if you need to. And to be reminded, he's the God wherever you are. As Brother Adam begins to sing, you come, God has spoken to your heart. What a friend we have in Jesus.
God in prayer. We'll sing one more verse. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in Father, thank you very much for the opportunity to assemble this morning, and thank you for your people that are faithful, and uh, God, I'm so grateful for each one of them. Lord, thank you uh, for the ones that were watching, are watching on the live stream, and thank you for the ones that are here, and God, we do look forward to the day when we can all be back together as you're willing, uh, but Father, we're thankful that until that time, and whatever that time will look like, that you are the God. In, in all of these things, Father, you're still with us and still working. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would remind people, remind your people that whatever they encounter in life, you're still God. And you'll be with us in those times. You'll be with us in different times. And we can trust you for that. So, Father, thank you for the truth of your word and the reminder of it in Jesus' name. Amen.